Welcome, everybody. This is the official Hex Collective channel, and we have another episode of the podcast. And for the first time as well, video. So whoever uh, who is whoever is listening to this, um, we will make this video available as well. I have here my friend Krista, and we are connecting, uh, yeah, via via Zoom, via the internet, of course. Um, and Krista, right now, she's in Salt Lake City, right? And I'm in Berlin, so this is like eight hours difference. It's pretty, pretty amazing. Um, we last saw each other in Florida in January for New Year's Eve. And I'm so happy that you could make it and that you're willing to be on this podcast. Um, obviously, it's a, it's going to be it's about something that Krista feels really passionate about. And the topic is aviation. We might go into other topics as well at, at a future stage. But today, we're going to talk about aviation. So over to you for um, an introduction and just tell us a little bit about yourself and your journey through life and um, how you got to where you are right now. Awesome. Well, my name is Krista Campbell and I moved to Salt Lake City in October of 2018. So we're in June of 2020 right now. And that day I joined a women's empowerment group where we started New Moon Circles where we were doing manifesting. And that day we made a vision board and I decided that I was going to focus all of my passions um, into three particular things. And that was yoga and dance, um, becoming a pilot and all things to do with aviation, and then focusing on spreading love and eventually family and marriage. So those became anything that didn't fit into that Venn diagram of I am those things, then I knew that it wasn't going to be part of my passion and it wasn't part of my calling. So I really wanted to focus in on those things. And yeah. I just like a week ago, got my certified flight instructor or certificated flight instructor um, certificate, which means I can now instruct others on how to become a pilot. And so it's kind of, for those that don't know aviation, I had a friend compare it to like getting your master's degree in something. So it's awesome. It's, yeah. Congratulations. 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 Thank you. I appreciate it. So, you know, it's just as much money, if not dedication, as becoming like a lawyer, maybe not as not quite as long as a doctor. You could become a pilot if you had about eighty thousand dollars and two years of your time and no job. You could you could do it and get all of your licenses from private pilot through um, CFI, certified flight instructor. Uh, for me, it took I when I was I'll start with, I used to be living in Miami and I graduated at the University of Florida with a degree in architecture. So I was always really into were you, design. Were you born in Miami? Are you from Florida originally? Yeah. Born and raised in Miami. One of the only blonde hair, blue eyed, you know, raised Catholic girls, I guess. Not too many of us down there. It's very diverse. And I really appreciated being surrounded by people that were extremely different than me, like great mixing salad, melting pot of a place to grow up. You know, the music, or, you know, the music was wonderful. The food is wonderful. The people are great. Um, so, that's great. yeah, so I, I, yeah, the weather mm -hmm. is fantastic. You know, now I get to experience mountains and different weather, which is part of the reason why I wanted to move here was just to mix it up. Um, but I was already a world traveler. My uh, dad is an architect. My mom's a flight attendant, and my great grandfather is a was a general in the Air Force. He was a pilot, and so he was also a, a CFI for the Air Force as well. So I kind of followed very much in the uh, genetic diagram, if, if if you will, of my ancestors. And first, I became an architect, then I became a flight attendant, and now I became a pilot. So I didn't go the military route, but 
um, I very much, you know, saw how my other family members did it and sought yeah. to do that as well. Yeah. Wow. Wow. So, so that's incredible actually that you, you went through those stages as well, because I didn't know that, you know, I knew that you were a flight attendant first, but I didn't know about the architecture part. So how did, yeah. how did that come about? So, so you grew up in Florida in Miami and then how, how, how what happened then? I mean, when, when did you start to, you know, with the architecture? Talk? Ever since I was 10, um, I don't know if you're familiar, but we have this thing called the gifted program, which is if we have a certain IQ um, and then you, you take this test when you're like about in kindergarten or preschool. Mm -hmm. um, if you're able to solve like math and creative problems um, on a more advanced level, then they put you in this specialized program where you go like two or three times a week um, to these special classes that teach you critical thinking. And it's kind of mm -hmm. like today's modern Montessori school. Mm -hmm. um, if you're that, but it's just a yes. different way. Of, it doesn't hold you a pigeonhole you into a particular grade learning level so that you have to learn like everybody else. It allows those students to um, to continue their creative thinking on a level that's all their own. And then they just keep promoting that. So I was lucky enough to get into that program. And so I started designing houses at like age 10. And I remember designing like, you know, roller coaster parks and theme parks and city planning. And I was doing all of that at age 10, uh, mostly because my dad would bring home, you know, this is, you know, back in what I was born in 1985. So I'm 35 now. So this is like in the nineties, everything was still done by hand in architecture. My dad would bring home these plans of where he had designed like the Miami beach convention center with its first rendition. It's recently been redone by one of my favorite architects now, but, yeah. um, and I would just play with that stuff. And I would just, I mean, as we all do, we, you know, we're gathering information from the world and what we're given to us and, what we surround ourselves with and might happen to be like architectural diagrams. And, um, I was allergic to cats. And so my family let me rescue reptiles. So I, we became like a reptile sanctuary where we had at one point, like seven iguanas, two turtles, two Nile monitors, um, you know, one snake. And then eventually I do have a bearded dragon now. So they're much easier to take care of than iguanas because they need a lot less space. But yeah. I just, in, I just loved reptiles and that was just kind of my thing was like architecture reptiles. And this is at like age 10. So I would sit there and my iguana would stay really, really still. And I would just draw every single scale and it would look, it would look perfect. It would look like wow, the perfect, wow. it would yeah. just look like a rendition of a, and, of a and when you, when you played with the, um, of the material from, from your dad, would he actually, would he explain stuff to you as well? Or would he just sort of like give it to you and let you play with it? Or would you, you know, sort of, yeah. yeah take you through totally, yeah. I would take like a, a square shoe box and he would give me like old pieces of things that look like roof material um, or little plastic pieces of um, plexiglass that I would just cut into walls. And I would just like start making houses and models and things like that and making, yeah. making, Toys or, or taking your little Disney toys and then making houses for them instead of buying them. Yeah. So, I was, yeah. so the design part came naturally to me. Um, yeah. Gifts from my dad and as well as, you know, the ability to just kind of play with those things and explore those things. And so I was always really creative. And then of course, you know, a level of reality sets in when you start to grow up, we are like, well, how am I going to make money? You know, how am I going to make this, um, uh, combine my joys and my passions with a career where I can actually make money so that I can mm -hmm. use those passions to help better, you know, the world, contribute to the world, you know? 
So I decided um, I had gotten, um, I went to a fine arts high school and was able to do advanced ceramics, advanced drawing and painting, advanced black and white photography. And, um, and I was like, okay, well, I'm not going to, you always hear starving artists associated with, you know, the same thing. And so I wanted to become an architect because I thought that that was where I could use my creative skills in the arts the best, especially seeing that my dad had already done it. So, yeah. you know, but then 2008 happened and the whole economy collapsed. And so, you sure. know, along with many businesses as well as my dad's business, nobody was doing anything that was extracurricular leisure type things on their houses. Mm. So mm. All, mm. all projects were kind of halted, but uh, growing up in Miami, which is always going to be surrounded by, you know, partying and booze, it's really easy to get a job at a restaurant because people always are going to eat and people are always going to want to go out and drink and dance no matter what. I mean, it's 2020 COVID times and people are fighting to get back into the bars because oh, yeah. that's part of the structure, you know? And, and back then, pre, pre all that, that was right when Facebook had just come out and you still needed a college, you know, .edu to be part of Facebook. So, mm-hmm. you know, and that this is pre uh, Bumble or Tinder where you're not meeting people yet on the internet. Like it was still like plenty of fish and match.com where you needed like a laptop, you know? So yeah. going bars was very much part of our uh, American social structure of how you're going to meet um, someone of the opposite sex, you know? Um, and, you know, and that's what sells. So I started working on South Beach and I made a lot of money, enough to buy, you know, my Mini Cooper and just, you know, keep up with the Joneses. And just from, then, just from, from working in a, in a bar? Yeah. Wow. Okay. Well, I, up really fast because of my like leadership skills and I'm very organized yeah and yeah and so I'm like assistant manager general manager of like these nightclubs oh okay and we're like we're between like 200 people up to 1500 people and just kind of around you know things open and close so fast on on south beach but it's all the same type of people that are opening it all the same let me me ask you one thing about the the, when you would mention you were at the at the um fine arts school so you mentioned how you know obviously it's a when you go to architecture it's it's part uh, arts and part science in a way it sounded like you you did have you didn't want to go this like totally like radical art artist kind of route but you always have this kind of consciousness for okay i actually want to make money as well i want to be you know in a safe position is that true is that is that accurate Yeah. And, and I like a challenge and I like things to be, um, difficult, but fulfilling at the end. So Mm -hmm. architecture class at the university of Florida, uh, freshman year, we started with 400 students and we only graduated with 40 in that same class. So that's how many people drop out and change majors. Um, it can weighted to engineering, except we go to the engineers to be like, solve this creative problem that I have. And Mm -hmm. the end, like here is my science here is my math this is what i'm going to stick to and architects are like no let me push the envelope and let's you know invent a new material if we have to to, mm-hmm. to get things that i want to do you cool. know and that's how eventually we could go from brick and mortar to steel and glass to like these balloon structures that are you know suspensions and stuff like that is because someone thought like let's push the boundaries yeah, cool. So, okay, so we're at that level where at the, the, the point in time you, so you're successful uh, working in these bars as in management. And then, and then what happened? But, you know, it's mostly working from 4 p.m. to 4 a.m. You're a vampire. It's mm. difficult to be healthy. 
Miami is the most beautiful, unhealthy city in the world. It's just everybody looks spectacular, but no one's really doing um, great things for their body or their mind or their soul. So I just felt like um, I needed to shake things up. So it was actually my mom used to work for Pan Am when she was my age back then. Oh, wow. Yeah. And I was um, actually going to ask you which airline. Yeah. I'm, I'm a bit yes, of an airplane. Her sister was Eastern. And yeah. then. And Anne went out of business and she worked for Braniff in 1992 when it was Braniff 2, if you were keeping up with that, with the aviation industry. And now she flies for Americans. So she's always been in the aviation industry. Yeah. And her dad being a pilot and um, a lot of my dad's brothers are also pilots in the Air Force and stuff like that. It, you know, aviation just ran in our family and we saw, we saw sure. it very much. Yeah. So um, at this point, I still didn't know that I wanted to be a pilot, you know, um, my mom's friend called and Barbara and she's just like, Hey, Delta's hiring. And even though my mom flew for, it's still flying for American Airlines. She's like, you should go do it. We don't know when American's going to hire. Like, so it's 2011 at this point. And, hmm. um, at 110,000 applicants, I was one of the 1200 flight attendants that got selected and I became a Delta Airlines flight attendant and I was based in New York at the time. Wow. This was 2012. That was January of 2011. 2011. Okay. Okay. Cool. Wow. So, so you, moved to, you moved to New York. Um, we have these things called crash pads, which is, I had a four bedroom, two bath apartment in Queens, New York, and mm -hmm. a four senior flight attendant was running it. She got married to a firefighter, decided that she was going to quit her job. So someone needed to take over the lease. Well, with my mm -hmm. background in feng shui and organization and just architecture in general, um, as well as my background in being a general manager and like the OCD kicks in of like, this has to be clean. This has to be organized. This needs to be done. It fell right into my okay. lap. Yeah. Uh, basically created a, a rent free scenario where I was able to take that money and eventually pay for my private pilot license, you know, flat out because I was able to create uh, a rent scenario where I was being paid now to live in this um, apartment. So I was still commuting to Miami at the time. I played ultimate Frisbee with my friends down in Miami in a, in a club. Yeah. So I flew as many Wednesdays as possible yeah. and, and then back to New York. Yeah. So this, this decision to, to join Delta or to apply, that was pretty spontaneous then in a sense. Yeah. But, but, but something, I mean, something must have resonated. I mean, it was a bit because always, you know, when we make decisions, usually you to change something, usually something is, 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 uh, you know, pulling us, you know, to, in a different direction and something is pushing us away from the place that we are, that we were. So, so I think that, I think you, you, you know, perfectly explained the, the pushing away part, you know, because you said, you know, the long hours, yeah. you know, and it's just unhealthy and, and maybe, I mean, I'm, I've, you know, I've been out, you know, lots of times, you know, and, you know, I'm, I'm from Berlin and I spent some time in, in England and I've always loved going out, but I think there can be a certain shallowness as well. And, you know, it depends on the city, you know, how, how, how shallow it is. I think there's most, some cities which are, where it's easier to get a proper connection, even on random night out, because people are just sort of wired that way. Uh, and it's, it's part of the culture but but for example I've, I've been um uh i've lived in munich for a while and munich is very different from berlin and that's more it's more i would say superficial and it's not really like people sort of intermingle and in berlin it's a very open culture where it's it's you know you you meet you know lots of different people and it's it can actually be really really cool um and and meaningful in a way so yeah. I know, I know what you mean. So, so it's, that was pushing you away. And then what was pulling you towards that when you first heard about that? 
Well, I have, I have a photographic memory. So I have this memory of, um, you know, using my mom's flight benefits when she got hired at American airlines, she got relocated to New York for a year before she was mm-hmm. able to transfer to Miami. <clears throat> and she chose American so that she could return to Miami. And I have this, um, this memory of flying to New York with my dad, seeing my mom's crash pad, seeing all the twin beds, you know, like strewn about and just visiting her in New York. And I just thought to myself, like, it would be really cool to live in New York. Like I, you know, I get to travel, like I have missed many like school dances. Like I've missed eighth grade school dances. I missed my prom because my mom's like, no, we're flying to the Grand Canyon this weekend, you know, or we're going to Myrtle Beach to visit family or, you know, just we're going on a Caribbean cruise because we can, you know? And so I I was, I was blessed that I was able to travel Mm -hmm. pretty much fly that allowed traveling to be accessible to me mm-hmm. um, at such age. And so back then you're like upset that you're missing a school dance, but then you realize like all the wonderful knowledge and opportunities that are presented to you through travel. And I already grew up in such a very diverse place that of course I want to see the world. You know, I want to see places that I've never seen before. And, you know, I went to Europe with uh, my boyfriend at the time, right when we graduated college for about a month, you know, we did Paris, Amsterdam, and Rome. And that was my first big Europe trip, you know, with, with a significant other. And I was like, how great would that be to, to do that for a living, you know? Yeah. Yeah. But with becoming a flight attendant and an aviator in general, a pilot, um, if you're planning to work for um, a commercial airline or even an airline that is just based in America, comes learning how to create a everything everything is so foreign and everything is so new that you know we want to be creatures of habits so it's mm-hmm. how do we create habit out of that chaos how do mm-hmm. we find home when we aren't returning to home and so that's kind of the make or break of what makes you a successful you know flight attendant or aviator is can you find that center? Can you find your peace um, anywhere, you know? And so right. you notice that people become, I, I like to think that we're all addicted to something, right? And those addictions mm-hmm. can be also healthy addictions. Mm-hmm. So are with your free time on your layover, are you going to the gym? Are you going shopping at Whole Foods, you know, or are you um, a, oh, finding the next new thing at Macy's? Are you going to hit up your favorite Irish bar? You know, um, are, are you going for a run on brand new trails? Like the, everybody needs to find their thing that they do as kind of like their uh, moving meditation as kind of like their therapy, right? Whether you know that you're using it as therapy or not. And so it's very easy to use alcohol as your, as your sense of home or your sense of relief and you know that's you know probably the worst one uh, you know the most of course many people do it yeah many people do that you think about it but it's one of the most socially acceptable and growing up in a place like me where there is no hiking where all we do yes i play ultimate frisbee yes i play golf um but if if you're not on a field playing sports like baseball or soccer then Mm. we don't have outdoor activities in miami growing Mm. up i i my first camping trip here in Utah and it's like 30 minutes to three hours in any direction is the most spectacular hiking mountains reservoirs you know that I've ever seen there's so many outdoor sports that you can just go and do and mm. um, we didn't have I didn't have that growing up 
So what was that? Was that the one, the, the thing that you discovered then as you started working as an aviator, as, as a flight attendant? Yeah. Or how did that, how did that happen? I mean, because, I mean, you must have, you started off and then I, I assume they, they would first send you on like domestic flights and then uh, did you do international as well? Yes. So you, you are um, qualified on all the aircrafts. So you very much can participate in international flights. We have these things called reserve days that um, are called A days. And you can basically on this day be used for any trip that they need to fill you in. So going mm. international, of course, is like amazing. That's what you're always hoping for is like to have a layover in Madrid or Rome or, you know, someplace amazing that you have never been to before, even if it's only 24 hours. Um, but eventually I did become a uh, purser qualified in 2018. So I was intentionally flying Paris, Iceland, and Shannon mostly, and five times in a row, like that my trip. Uh, so then you really get, this. even though I'm only laying over there for two hours, it's like, well, now I'm going to, you know, Uh, Notre Dame and now I'm going to the Eiffel Tower and now I'm going to like you know my favorite shopping street or something in Paris so I'm only there for 24 hours but I get to do all the things that I want to do um, yeah. in, in that but I definitely have had a breakup if you will with the social standards of alcohol being our main um, our main structure when it comes to our, the way that we socialize And, you know, it was one of my many spiritual awakenings, but it's difficult when you have a realization that alcohol is such a hold on the way that we socialize, that when you try to pull away, you know, people don't like to see you change, even if it is for a healing better way. Mm -hmm. And so they often try to drag you back in, which is why it's so difficult for people who have true addictions, because I don't have an addictive personality, but for For many of those of us who do, even when you try to get yourself he healthy, you don't know mm -hmm. how to join friends at a bar or a party without picking up a drink. You know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, yeah, it's very true, definitely. Yeah. Well, and and it's and, and I can relate to that challenge of what do you do when you when you're in such a place? Because I used to work in in uh, management consulting, and there I was, you know, obviously always, you know, Mondays to Thursdays or Mondays to Wednesdays, and sometimes five days a week. I would just you know be sent to a different city. And um, yeah, I, I can relate to that challenge. It's not easy to then find your find your space. Um, I mean, normally we would you know, when you're there, you work quite hard anyway, but but not 24 hours. So um, uh, and 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 you know, it's it's the same thing that as you describe. You know, it's so easy for people to go out and meet at the bar, and you can see it, of course, in all the hotels. You know, people are, there's always someone there, and it's and it's so it's so it's so close and it's so easy. So that's the first thing and the only thing that people do. Um, and it is, it is difficult. I mean, it's quite cool. I think it's really cool that uh, when you have a layover, you know, for a bit longer before you fly back, you can actually go and see the sites. Um, there's been, I mean, there's, I've had occasions or projects where I would go to cities and I, I never really see anything except out of a taxi window or from my hotel room window, or maybe I, you know, went for a run, you know, once in a, you know, once in a while, but I could never actually go see any sites because there's no time. Yeah, and I would just go back home. So yeah, you got to find your way. Um, imagine like a time when you went on vacation or imagine a time when you graduated high school, went to college or imagine 
a time when you moved city, cities, those big shifts in, in your energy where you are completely open to new ideas and new experiences is what makes being an aviator so fulfilling, right? Mm -hmm. Because when you move cities, you don't have any friends. You don't know your neighborhood. You're out trying all the new pizza places, you know, how, how do you meet people like joining clubs, going golfing, doing something that is actually getting yourself out there versus we, you know, that hometown syndrome of where people never leave their hometown. They literally just get married, have kids and then raise their kids in the same hometown. And they yeah. don't, they've never owned a passport before. You know, you can see how it can get scarier as time goes on because we don't want change. We want to create these habits, you know, but change is inevitable and embracing that change is where um, you just take that leap into the clouds and you don't know what's going to be below there. Like, am I mm -hmm. going to turn into a video or am I going to hit the ground? I don't know, but I, I promise you like 99% of the time, you're not going to hit the ground. You always land at some place magical, you know? And that's what makes um, those that are successful at remaining career flight attendants or pilots, that's mm -hmm. what makes us great is how quickly we can adapt to those scenarios. And but, how, how, how was that for you? I mean, specifically when you started, what was that, that experience like for you? So I'm still a creature of habit, right? So if it's funny how, like, if I lay over in some place, um, you, where was I? I was in Milan, for example. So mm -hmm. I, I laid over. Lana had never been there before, but, you know, I'm with other crew members who speak Italian, so they've been there before. So, you know, we walk to the grocery store, we walk to our favorite restaurant, you know, we go see the Duomo and we go do fun things. And then the next time I go to Milan, I go and do the same things. So it's like, I'm still a creature of habit. I still want to walk down the same street. I still want to establish some level of familiarity, whether that's like my reptilian brain or not. It's like, I still want to do something similar. And the same with uh, Shannon Ireland. Shannon Ireland has like this amazing gym that's in our hotel. So the first thing I want to do is go play in that gym you know? mm -hmm. and, yeah. then, and walk to, you know, there, there's these really great, I think it's called St. Mary's Cathedral. And there's this awesome, um, uh, uh, where do they keep, a graveyard. This is really great, famous graveyard. And I just like to always walk there and then go to the favorite bar and order like a real Heineken and get some really good, you know, seafood stew or something. And so, but every, so I might be going to the same places and doing similar things, but I'm meeting new people along the way. I'm doing it with new people. I'm, you know, making new Facebook connections or, or friends and just, just chatting it up. Uh, and that's what makes it so exciting. So mm -hmm. people, I'm still can, I'm still doing things that are brand new, but in a way that's going to make me feel comfortable, right? Yeah, yeah. And what about? Um, I'm wondering, you know, I mean, because this this is an obviously huge, huge topic, but what's also well, my, my my question to you also is, what about the actual experience of flying? I mean, how how does that play into that whole experience and how was, was that enticing in a way as well? Or how did you, yeah. What, what, what does that mean to you? The, 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 the so sensation of actually being in the air and being in the, in the plane. Yeah. My realization was, you know, we do, we go through middle school, we do four years of high school, you do four years of college, you had your first job and now I'm, I'm in my second job where it's this being a flight attendant and about, two to three years in, all of a sudden I'm like, something needs to change. Something needs to be different. Right. Because we've been, we've been conditioned from childhood every four years. It's like, 
new school, new friends, new something. Mm-hmm. And so I, you really start to notice four years into being a flight attendant, like what things are too similar. Something needs to change. I need that big, you know, change again. And so that's when I, one of my best friends, Evan Kuklo was like, Hey, I just got all my pilot licenses. You should become a pilot. And I was like, you know what? Pouring Cokes and passing out peanuts is becoming too easy for me. My brain is not being, right, right. you know, I'm not using my brain. I'm not being challenged. I need a challenge. And those of us who are successful flight attendants and aviators, we love people. We love mm. travel. And, you know, we understand that travel can be frustrating and that, you know, people are going through these things that are they're not familiar with and that can just be make someone angry. And we understand that that is not taking it. But how great would it be to do something that's challenging for feeling? And as a pilot, I learned something new every day. You know, I just became a CFI, which basically allows me to be able to teach all the things uh, specifically for private pilot and commercial pilot licenses. But I'm always learning too. There's always something that I'm going to learn. Eventually there's going to be, more instrumentation I'm going to learn. Something new is going to change. There's always, there's always so much to learn. And that's why I love about being a pilot is every yeah, day yeah. I'm inspired and yeah. being a flight. I was a flight attendant for nine years and it's very, it is a very fulfilling job and I loved it, but I just wanted, I wanted more. I thought I want to contribute to the world in a way that is more. And I had yeah, to meditate yeah. and I wanted to make sure that I wasn't just becoming a pilot because you make a lot more money. I wanted to make sure it was something that I really wanted to do. Because if you're going to do something, eventually you're hmm. it's going to kill you, and you're not going to enjoy it again. Well, I mean, the, the, what you what you just explained is is really uh, really resonates, and it's something that I've been, I would say, studying a lot more the, the over the last year or two and understanding, I think, well, at least I think I'm understanding a little more this, this idea or the sensation that we feel when we, we, we're not learning anymore and, and it's sort of getting boring and then getting, getting stuck and not progressing anymore. And I think there seems to be, because I, because I hear this so many, I, see, I hear this so often and I, and I can see it with people, some people where I, I, I'm afraid they're not progressing anymore, and and they don't realize that that's what making them un, um, that's what what's making them un, unhappy. So this is like a general, almost like an archetype, archetypical um, experience of, of of us humans. You know that we want to we want to develop further, we want to learn, and if it's just you know not and we're, if we're not able to, or we're not pursuing it actively, or we tell ourselves no, let's stay in that safe space, you know, and the money is good. Yeah. The board's job is boring, but just do, you know, keep on doing it. Then people either do, uh, you know, maybe they, they, you know, find a hobby or they have find some other outlets, you know, for that. Um, but in the, in the worst cases, you know, they just become really unhappy and frustrated and they don't even know what it is, or they think they have to give up too much to, you know, find that, that new space as well. Um, but, but so I could, so that makes a lot of sense. Um, but before we get into that, I was just wondering what I was trying to get at earlier with the other question was, um, the, the, what, how did you perceive the, the sensation of flying as part of being a flight attendant and being on planes all the time? I mean, did that, was that something special to you? Was it sort of boring? Was it just something that you didn't think about it for a long time? How, how was that for you? So, um, flying both, you know, as a brand new flight attendant or as a pilot is a lot of new psychomotor sensory, um, overloads that you are not normally associated with, with just walking or driving. Right. So the vibration, 
happens and the sounds and, you know, hitting turbulence, all of these are new sensations that are affecting your, the fluid in your inner ear, which your body is trying to register as which way is gravity, which way is up and down. And, and sometimes that sensation, if you can't see the horizon, can be very um, discombobulating, right? Which is how people get motion sickness and things like that. And yeah. just the vibration alone um, of, of being, on, being near those engines that are, you know, hurtling your aircraft 500 miles per hour through the air is a brand new sensation and that can be very overwhelming. And this mm. goes back to that if, it's, if it's new, if it's a new challenge or a new sensory, you know, most people are prone to, hey, this is new, it's frustrating, it's foreign, I don't like it. But if yeah. you give yourself a chance, um, you know, there's a Japanese saying that basically says that it's this really um, fermented tofu that has a really strange smell and taste. And mm -hmm. they basically try it three times before you know whether you like it or not. And they take that saying and they say that you have to try everything three times before whether you know you like it or not. And it boils down to the first time you eat the fermented tofu, you don't have any probiotics or anything in your body that recognizes it. So it doesn't have the ability to digest it. So it can seem very frustrating, foreign, and unlikable. Then the mm -hmm. second time, those things are already in your body. And so it starts to recognize it. It can now associate it with its benefits. The third time you eat it, it's fully ready. And now you understand how nutritious this is, how it can benefit you on a probiotic level. And now if you take that, you can start to see how if you try something new, that your first reaction would be like, oh, I don't like this. But, you know, I used to not like olives. But then eventually, if I tried olives, you know, two or three or four times, I'm like, oh, okay, I just didn't like those first olives. Or I just didn't mm -hmm. like that first, you know, that I tried. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. We, and that's something that we need to continue to do, knowing mm -hmm. that humans, we're always growing, we're always changing, that trying something that you think you didn't like before, mm -hmm. may, you may change your mind, you know? And this is where we also fall victim to, is if you think of a really good friend of yours from high school, and now you're friends with them on Facebook, and they're a completely different person, that's your fault for holding them that there would be the same person that you remember them as high school. Mm. People, and we need to allow space for people to change mm -hmm. and, and accept that person as that same name, same person you knew in high school, but a but brand new um, outlook on life. You know, mm -hmm. people do. Mm -hmm. And we often notice it when it's for the worse, when we like, oh, I wish that they were doing better. I care for them. But yeah. when people are better, we need to celebrate that. So uh, and uh, and so does that does that mean uh, or so how was that for you then with the, the flying sensations in the beginning? So did you did you go through that as well? Did you did you have some concerns that you're not going to like it or how do you um, remember that? I mean, I've I've been flying since I was little. I think the first time I got on a plane, I was like a month old, you know. But yeah. I really enjoy if I feel if I feel safe if I feel the instructor who's teaching me how to fly knows what he's doing or the pilot who's flying me as a flight attendant, I can put my trust in that person and know mm -hmm. that they're going to speak to me anything that I need to know um, that would risk my health or safety, right? right. So besides that, I, I trust in the experience, you know? Turbulence, a lot of people are afraid of turbulence, but it's really just like being a boat. 
uh, on some waves. And if you think the slower you go on some waves, right, the bigger up and downs you're going to feel. But the faster you go, you're going to plane kind of through them and it's just going to be choppy like this. Mm-hmm. The same in an airplane. That's We're basically like planing through air, you know, mm-hmm. air is uh, a fluid really and the faster we go the smoother it's going to get yeah. so smaller the aircraft yeah the more turbulence you're going to feel in the same you know 15 20 knots of wind as as you would in like a larger aircraft yeah yeah and so, have you have you ever yeah. have you ever felt unsafe in a situation on a plane that could be anything the worst ironically the worst time to fly is during spring break at least in north america yeah. um, based out the Coriolis effect of the earth is moving the wind flows coming down from the Arctic and as well. Oh, I, I thought you were, I thought you were going to say because of all the drunk people on the plane. <laughs> no, it's, it's mostly because the hot air is rising and then we get an inversion layer of temperatures, which then cause this mixture of air, but it also yeah. air doesn't like super great sometimes. And so it'll create like these, um, these like, hats or these caps where air gets trapped underneath and then you get these these wind shear shifts of where you know in just a thousand feet the wind will be moving in a completely different direction with completely different moisture components and um and you've got that hot air rising it wants to push yeah. through so that that's what throws your aircraft around so the worst turbulence i've always experienced is in april which happens yeah. to be spring break happens yeah. to be when we've got all the vacationers who never are on the aircraft <laughs> yeah. just having the week that it's like the worst turbulence yeah. in North America. But did you but did you ever feel unsafe or did you ever feel so like uncomfortable in that situation? Um I mean I've been yeah I've been airborne like just twice in April where like your feet leave the ground and I've definitely had flight attendant friends who've gotten hurt, you know, where you know carts tip over or you know someone who's head has hit the roof like you know we've got 25,000 flight attendants and so yeah things do happen. It is you know, this is why we tell you to wear your seatbelt. We're not, we're not joking around, right. you know. Yeah, this and it's unpredictable as well, right, sometimes. Clear air turbulence is unpredictable. Uh, for the most part, we do these things called PIREPs, which is basically pilots in front of you who have flown that route who can relay to air traffic mm. control that the turbulence was, you know, light, moderate, or severe. And so then we use that PIREP information as well as really advanced meteorological um, you know, uh, scientific data in order to predict these things. So mm. we, mm. we do it. We do have some really great information, but yeah, mm. it's, it's still the weather and we're still learning. That's funny, funny that you mentioned it because I remember this, this as a, I distinctly remember this one time I flew from the U S uh, back to Europe. Uh, this, this must've been like 20 years ago. And And it was a it was an overnight flight. I think most most flights are right from the U.S. to Europe. Um, it's it's uh, it's like you you know you 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 go through the night, and then um, uh, some turbulence started. It wasn't it wasn't too bad. Yeah? And at, at the time, I didn't really have a problem with it either. Yeah, but I'll, I'll come to that in a second. But so but but then the the pilot came on and said, hey, yeah. So so you noticed you know you you probably noticed this. It's kind of you know getting a bit bumpy. Um, And, and then he said something like, "Yeah, we're gonna we're gonna talk to um, some of the other planes in front of us uh, and see how you know how long it's gonna last." And then, and then like I don't know, five minutes later, he came came back on and said, "Yeah, so this yeah we talked to to uh, this guy and that guy or whatever, and so we, we probably we're, we're probably in the clear in like 30 minutes or 45 minutes or something." And this is such a cool um, thing um, to 
to realize because it's just uh, because to me, I've, obviously, I've never you know experienced flight as a flight attendant or as a or as a pilot, only as a passenger. So um, so sometimes I have the sensation of feeling kind of alone because you're you're in this plane and then you you your 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 mind starts starts drifting and thinking holy crap you know this is it's we're just in the middle of the atlantic it's dark outside you know with you know uh 10 kilometers above the ground and you know you can feel really alone and really kind of strange um and uh but but this this fact that you know the the pie pie rep or whatever it's called um this kind of you know opened my perception to the fact that hey we're, we're actually not alone there's there's dozens of planes in front of us, there's probably planes to the side of us, probably planes behind us. And that was kind of a comforting thought, you know, and thinking like, uh, hey, you know, it's actually really, because, because sometimes, and I, I had, I, I think I had that tendency, or I still have that tendency sometimes to, to overthink things. And I have had experiences where I did feel comfortable on the plane. It never got so bad that I would actually not fly, you know, or, 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 or sort of avoid flying. But I've had that, and I've only recently had to, um, face that as well and and try and work work through that because it was getting to a stage where it wasn't comfortable anymore and i had to go back to i think what was helping me at the time um, this is only yeah like six months ago um where i could feel like every time a little bit of turbulence was happening i would feel a little bit of stress and i thought this is not this is not cool and it's not fun anymore and i and i thought to myself you know if i and that goes back to that alcohol topic too you know, you can either try and, uh, you know, obviously you can just you know, order a drink or something and then hope that, you know, you that sort of solves the problem, but it does, it will never do that, I think. Yeah, maybe, yeah, if you, if you get like sort of blackout drunk and then you wouldn't notice it and notice anything. But I thought I have to do something totally different. I have to be sort of, I have to, I have to be more conscious about what's going on. And now I thought, okay, what, what are the positive things that I can remember actually, you know, what, what do I want this experience to be? And I tried to experience flying again, like, like when I was a little boy, when, there was I, I was just loving it, you know, and I had had zero, you know, uh, sort of I was absolutely zero afraid of, of flying, and 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 it, it didn't happen like this, yeah. But over like several hours and several long flights and and shorter ones as well, I was able to 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 deal with that and and to feel actually a lot more, yeah, more more comfortable on the plane again. Right. So well, if you think yeah. about stress and anxiety, those are natural occurrences, mostly brought on by hormones in our brain that are helping us to make decisions whether we're gonna have fight or flight, right? And so, but we can also have a, a normal reaction to stress would be heightened senses, you know, narrowed vision so that we can accomplish our goal when our safety is in peril, right? Mm -hmm. And an abnormal reaction to stress would be like ignoring what's happening, laughing, you know, trying to pretend like this thing isn't happening. And so really those of us who you can just the feelings of excitement versus feelings of being overwhelmed and the stress are very similar hormones. It's just you deciding how you're going to feel, right? So that fight or flight syndrome is something that you get to make a choice of. So the more, um, the more skills that you have in that particular scenario, for example, experience turbulence at night on an airplane, the more that you experience, the more you can be like, oh, this is normal. This feels, I feel safe. And, yeah. you know, I can, I can tough this out as opposed to trying to run. And that's how it goes for all aspects of our life. If you think about it is 
when I take a check ride, which is like the most stressful time, it's like do or die. Like I either got to fly this airplane exactly to the standards and pass this test. Otherwise I got to come back and pay all this money to do it again and retest and things like that. I just tell myself like, okay, I'm not going to be scared and freaked out. This is excitement. Like I'm excited to do this. And it's the same reason that we do anything that's a fill of adrenaline and thrilling. Like, why do you go skydiving? Why do you go bungee jumping? You know, why do you go rock climbing? Like these things that, that are, are tempting your, your life are thrilling because you get to take it instead of that adrenaline being petrifying, you're taking it and using it to your ability to accomplish these great things. So that's kind of, you know, yeah. that's why love aviation and I think every, anybody can learn to grow to love aviation yeah. and there's so many reasons why um, you know the way that we're brought up our past experiences maybe even our past lives there are so many reasons why we're pr- prone to dislike certain things like why do I like dark why do I not like dark places why do I not why am I afraid of heights you know there maybe we can't exactly explain why those things are but you very much can learn to get over those fears too you know mm. like Hmm. I had a fear of spiders growing up, but like slowly I learned like there's good spiders and bad spiders and some can hurt me and some cannot. I don't need to be afraid of all spiders anymore. And this is, it's the same with, with flying. You don't need to be afraid of all flights. You, you know, I, aerobatic flying is what, what I'm addicted to right now. And there's not a separate, um, you do, there is a spin endorsement that you have to get to be a CFI, but there's no like separate cert- certificate to become an aerobatic pilot. Hmm. But I, always loved riding roller coasters when I was younger. My dad would go with me. He would tell me it was safe and it was fun. And now doing loops and flips and hammerheads and, you know, avalanches and barrel rolls like that is thrilling to me. But the first time I did you that. You actually do that? I didn't know. Yeah. Even know that. yeah there's wow. this, uh, there's this um, local re- retired uh, orthopedic surgeon here in Utah who's been yeah. a 20 competition pilot. And, um, and so I went up in his extra 300, which is just this amazing aerobatic plane with lots of power. And we go up to, you know, about 12,000, 13,000 feet and, uh, we just fall out of the sky and doing spins. <laughs> wow. Amazing. You know, dot, you know, do a dive to go yeah. like 120 knots so that we can get enough power to do a flip and then do a spin and, yeah. and come back. Yeah. First time I ever did that, who we was my brain shook enough like i i was doing everything in my power not to throw up even for about three hours getting outside the airplane but the second the third the fourth you know time that i went in that aircraft it's thrilling to me because now my body is like oh we're not in danger i'm just learning a new thing i I can imagine that like scott kelly went through the first couple times that he went into outer space you know it's just like your body's floating and learning all these new ways to adapt but as humans we're very adaptable don't don't let go hold you back from being able to adapt to new yeah. situations. So, so that, that basically, that, that's amazing. Yeah. You're opening up the whole sort of future space. So I can already see you becoming a pilot and then taking the next step to becoming an astronaut. Yeah. Am I actually, right? I remember, um, gosh, I think I was, I remember thinking at one point, you know, I don't just want to become a pilot. Like it would be my dream to, be like a commercial airline pilot, like for SpaceX, like taking people on tours, go check out the moon, you know, or check out earth from, you know, 
hundred meters up or something, you know, like it would be so great to drop into orbit and do four hours floating up there and come back down. And I was at the women's in aviation conference, which if any, anyone out there, especially females are interested in becoming a pilot, or if you're just interested in aviation in general, join women's in aviation, as well as the 99s. And we're, you know, we're worldwide. And I went to their conference in 2019, which was uh, in San Jose, California. And um, I wish I could remember her name, but she was so inspiring. She was a, she was becoming an astronaut for NASA, but she got disqualified for some small medical issues. So she was like Mm -hmm. a seventh string and she never made it so she became a pilot for a major airline instead and then a couple years later she got a call from spacex being like hey we're doing this commercial airline program and so now she flies for spacex and right now she drops like satellites and things orbit and then she free falls down from like sixty-five thousand feet until she gets enough um, molecules over her airplane where she can then you know safely land herself back on but that was very inspiring. And I was like, why not just become a flight attendant? So to become a, to become a NASA astronaut, it takes a four year STEM degree. So science and and math degree. Mm -hmm. And then you only need 2000 hours of turbine time, which is basically like a multi-engine high powered aircraft. And then you could apply to be a NASA astronaut and they'll put you through a two year program where you learn things specific to aerospace engineering and the physics of, you know, flight. Um, but yeah, you, you could totally be an astronaut. So I could totally cool. fly for Delta, have some kids and then become an astronaut if I really wanted to. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's, that's amazing. I mean, that's because I didn't even know, uh, of course I didn't know the, the acrobatic flying that, that you do that too. I mean, that's, that's cool because I, I was going to ask you about the, um, just the, the, the experience of now, you know, being sort of like properly in control of the plane and, you know, being able to go where you want it, you know, or, or where you want to. And, uh, so what's the, what's the, um, uh, like what's what's the journey? What does it look like in terms of like how how long? When when do you think you you'll be ready to fly um, commercial airplanes? So uh, my journey in particular was I got my private pilot license and then I flew for uh, about fifty hours, about a year, and then I took a year off to save money, and then I applied for an education leave from my company in order to go to ATP, which is one of the most name dropped, if not well-known, um, air flight academies. And within six months, I was able to get my instrument rating, my commercial single, my commercial multi, but mm-hmm. unfortunately um, expired. And so I had to return to the line as a flight attendant. Um, most people do continue to get their CFI at that point. I came back on as line as a flight attendant. I then moved from New York to Salt Lake city. And then I was able to get another leave where, um, I didn't have to quit the company in order to continue my um, desire to be a pilot. So uh, I did, um, I did do some ground school for the CFI and then unfortunately shattered my leg skiing. So there's always things that are going to happen that your journey is not going to be perfectly as expected. You know, it's taken four years from the time I got my private to the time I got my CFI and that's probably long as typical. Um, but I was able to pay through everything myself. You know, I only had to get half the amount of student loan that I really needed, you know, right. you know, as I was able to save money, having an already having a full-time job. And um, so now, you know, during COVID times, there have been benefits and there have been detriments. And we really sure. just need on seeing all the beautiful benefits. Like I am able to 
take the time where I could study all my lesson plans and teach uh, people virtually via Zoom and stuff how the things that they need to know in order to get their private pilot license. And so it's afforded yeah. me that time, which is yeah. wonderful. Um, but now, um, you know, my, my chief pilot at the school that I want to work for, he just quits. So now there's a big shift going on where all the instructors are, who's going to be newly in charge, who else are we going to hire? So, you know, things don't happen exactly as they want. It would have been great if I got my CFI a couple of years ago and then I was already working. So now I'm, I'm, you know, just updated my resume yesterday. I'm ready to get a new job, but you just have to keep pushing through mm. and staying mm. Like I, I highly suggest making vision boards, writing down what your goals are, because when I flip back to my journal, you know, two years ago, I, all the things that I said I wanted to do, I, I accomplished. I just thought yeah. I was going to be living yeah. in Denver instead of Salt Lake, but I, I moved to the mountains like expected. I got my pilot licenses like expected. And, you know, if anybody's single out there, I'm still looking for, you know, a boyfriend, but <laughs> <laughs> But no, but seriously, all, all kidding aside, yeah. you just got to tell yourself what it is that's important to you and what you want to do. And I encourage any, anybody, especially females out there who are maybe in America or near Salt Lake City or anywhere that want to learn to be a pilot, it is completely possible. And you can be the first one in, you know, you don't have to have generations of pilots in your family in order to be a pilot. You know, Vincent, one thing that's... Um, What's really interesting is out of all the commercially rated pilots in the world, there's under 7,000 females. Mm. Less than less than 7% of all pilots are females. So yeah. that community yeah. of knowing other females or knowing other people that are at that same level, whether you're just yeah, getting your because you want to own your own airplane and fly to grandma's house versus you know, all the way to becoming a commercial airline pilot. Everybody has different goals. Not everybody wants to work for, you know, the big airlines. Some people want to be bush pilots in Alaska. Some people want to work, you know, Grand Canyon sightseeing tours. Like these, there's something magical about flying and seeing mm. earth from, even if it's only 10,000 feet up, you don't have to go to 36,000 feet up to see how magical the earth is. But being able to, you know, I, I, this is the same reason that people do road trips, I would think, except mm. I'm, I'm altitude. It's just earth is really magical that way. And as humans, we want to grow and we want to learn and we want to know more. And I mean, flight was only invented like a hundred years ago. Like, yeah, what, it's what, amazing. Fourth, it's really incredible. The fourth generation ever on earth at least that we know of where we're able to invent flight and yeah. and now the atmosphere and go to the moon and you know eventually mars like that's yeah. that's yeah. Cool. i love you know i love this message i love i, I really love this uh, because you know, right now, you know, there's probably a lot of people uh, and even in normal times, you know, there's so many things that we worry about. There's so many things that we and, you know, understandably so, you know, so many uncertainties. But but what you just, you know, what you just mentioned, you mentioned some of these these really important things that I'm that I'm working, you're working on as well. You know, just you know, defining where you want to be, what you want to do, you know, and this vision board. I'm actually working on one. It's like my first one ever. And I haven't, I haven't actually, I haven't actually written down any goals yet because I'm kind of, I'm kind of like collecting my, so like my core values, or I would say my core, um, 
the, the quote unquote mantras, if you will, you know, that I want to live by, the ones that, that maybe in the past I had, I had uh, neglected, uh, but where I know that I need them and I need to follow them more to be able to sort of take that next step and reach that next level. But um, so that, that's really amazing. And also, I, I think, you know, it, what you just said, and I think it's almost like a beautiful, it's, it, I, would, I think I'm, you know, because we've, we've really covered a lot. You know, it's almost a beautiful thought to, to, to wrap up this, this, uh, this conversation uh, from my point of view is to, is to put things in perspective because yes, we know right now, you know, we have this pandemic going on and it, it's, it's a, a catastrophe and it sucks, but it put, puts uh, this in, in perspective saying, well, there's going to, going to be a time after that. Plus we can still experience these things, which we can be so grateful um, for that we we live in this lifetime where they, they, they have been invented and we can do this. And if we put our minds to it, you know, we can achieve this kind of stuff. Um, it's really cool. I really, yeah, I really like this. I really love this. This is amazing. This and I think it's, it's, you know, you can, you, you, you radiate that too, you know, this like, and, and I think this is so powerful about your story that you, you, you went through these different stages and you didn't, you know, say, well, yeah, this is what I want to do and I'm going to do it. And that was, and that was it, but it's like really going through these stages. And that's also something that I'm learning and that I've learned in the past and seeing more and more and more. No, it's okay to go through iterations and to have phases and to discover new things. You don't have to have that answer, answer all the time. And I used to put myself under a lot of pressure, you know, Sometimes I think, well, but you've got to you've got to make a decision. You've got to you know, or you at least you have to know what you want to do. And it, so to speak, you know, as because when you're in in consulting, that's kind of the the key characteristic that it's actually always different. You know, it's really always different. And there's a I think there's just a reason why I, I actually worked that in that job for such a long time, um, because I'm kind of made for these different things. I need this you know, these new situations and these new new challenges. And um, well. I don't know what's going to happen next, but I think listening to you and and listening to this stuff really, you know, gives you it gives you hope, it gives you energy, and it's really inspiring. So, thank you so yeah. much for this. And is there anything else you want to you want to share, or you you feel? Yeah, I just wanted to say that like you really have to have write these things down, find what your goals are, have faith in yourself, meditate, be silent, listen to not that voice inside your head that's going to guide you, which comes with being still and trust that as you grow, you know, um, the five people that you keep around you is going to be how you vibrate is going to be how you resonate. And as you grow, you are going to lose friends, but always trust that you're going to gain new friends that are going to lift you up. And that's why I'm so appreciative to be part of Hex Collective, be part of our group because all everybody is so successful and on their own way and everybody is so um accommodating and loving and you know i yes you have those friends that you've known for forever but most of my friends now are either flight attendants or pilots or you know our burning man hex collective group and there's a reason yeah. for that it's yeah. those are the people that are vibrating at your level so you have to trust that yeah. people will your life but it's only going to be to your benefit yeah well that's spectacular so uh it's great it's really really awesome thank you so much it's been really it's been a lot of fun and i learned so much about you as well it's it's really cool what a journey and i'd, I'd love to do this again sometime you know we talked about other topics as well but this is fantastic and i can't wait to share this with uh, with our little uh, family with our community so Thank you and all the best from Berlin to Salt Lake City. It's going on like 10 to 10 p.m. 
So I'm, I'm feeling like my energy level is dropping now as well. So I think it's a good time to wrap up, but this is so cool. Awesome. So I'm going to, yeah, leave it that, at that and talk to you soon. Thanks. Have a good one.